So we're in this series, Hebrews, an anchor for the soul, and I'm going to do part two today of a three-part called Don't Settle for Less Than God's Best. But before we jump into it, let's go over Hebrews 7.19 again and try to memorize that. You ready? You guys say it with me. For the law made nothing perfect. On the other hand, there is the bringing in of a better hope through which we draw near to God. Now think about that. The law made nothing perfect. That really is the focus of what we're going to unpack in the text today. But on the other hand, there's this bringing in of a better hope, hope personified. The the Lord Jesus is our better hope. And through him, through which this better hope, we draw near to God. Let's throw some blanks in there and just see how we do. You ready? For the law made nothing perfect. On the other hand, there is the bringing in of a better hope through which we draw near to God. Good. It's always a good way to memorize scripture. Just take out some of the key words and keep building. Last week, we learned that the person and priesthood of Melchizedek serve as foreshadowings of Jesus. We also learned that Abraham, the father of the Jews, found that Melchizedek was superior. Therefore, we concluded If Melchizedek is greater than Abraham, the father of the Jews, and Jesus is greater than even Melchizedek, then Jesus is greater than Judaism and the man-made systems that we find in the Old Testament. And so with the superiority of Jesus, I want you to think about this. Have you guys ever thought about this saying, and I actually believe this old axiom, you get what you pay for. Y'all have heard that, right? You get what you pay for. It's always amazed me. I was thinking of examples. The biggest one I can think of, though, is the guys like myself that love to hunt, and particularly archery guys, they'll spend all this money on their bow. They'll have a nice bow, all the gadgets and gizmos on it. They'll spend 1500 bucks. Some of these guys spend two grand. I don't. I bought a used bow. But these guys will spend all this money, and then you'll get a field with them, and they'll say, hey, man, check out these broadheads. I got them on sale at Walmart. They were like $5 a piece, and I'm going... Why would you, that's the the pointy end. (laughs) Why would you spend all this money on the bow and the thing that actually makes contact because you want to do an ethical harvest, the thing that makes contact you're going to cheap out on? Why would you do that? I mean, I really do believe about 99% of the time you get what you pay for. Anybody ever seen a tremendous deal on Amazon and then you got it in the mail and you went, that's why it was so cheap, right? I mean, you look at it, it's Miss Cindy needed a new dish, what do you call that thing? A dish rack, and we ordered one. Oh my word, it went right back to Amazon. It was a goofy little thing. You'd hold two plates and a cup. I mean, come on, man. And so the reality is you do get what you pay for, yet we've gotta be careful when we apply that to salvation. Because what happens is we begin to think, I need to earn this. This is too good to be true. Surely God's not going to give me an abundant life now, an eternal life with him, the glories and splendors of heaven. I must do something to deserve that. Surely I can work hard enough to earn that or at least help pay for it. But friends, the reality is if you do anything to add to your salvation, that is cheap religion. That is not biblical faith. That is not trusting Christ. All other religions will say, do, do this or do that. Don't do this. Don't do that. Christianity alone says done, paid in full, tetelestai. You don't add to your salvation. And what the writer in Hebrews is doing is saying, okay, guys, 
Don't you dare go back into that man-made system of rites and rituals. Yes, God had ordained it for a season. I said man-made. It was actually God-made. But what happened is they took it farther than God intended it to go, and they tried to hold on to it longer than God intended. And so he's saying, don't go back there when Jesus has come and is so superior. So with that in mind, stand with me as we honor the reading of God's word. Hebrews 7, I'm going to go 11 to 19. Next week, we'll finish the third half, uh, uh, the third section of this chapter. It says, therefore, if perfection were through the Levitical priesthood, for under it people received the law. So he's equating Levitical priesthood and law. He's trying to say, see how these are related What further need, if perfection came through that, what further need was there that another priest should rise according to the order of Melchizedek? He's obviously talking about Jesus Christ and not be called according to the order of Aaron. He did not come through the tribe of Levi. For the priesthood being changed of necessity, there's also a change of the law. For he of whom these things are spoken belongs to another tribe. Hey, what tribe did Je- now the first service killed this don't read ahead what tribe did Jesus come from yeah a lion from the tribe of Judah Aaron and all of the priests came from the tribe of yeah you guys are good man hey give them an extra cookie or something up there that's awesome Levi all right so watch this So he's spoken of another tribe which no man has officiated at the altar, meaning there was nobody else that came from a tribe outside of Levi, particularly Judah, where they were priestly, for it is evident that our Lord arose from Judah, of which tribe Moses spoke nothing concerning priesthood, and it is yet far more evident if, in the likeness of Melchizedek, there arises another priest who has come, this is the cool part, not according to the law of fleshly commandment, but according to the power of an endless life. Who has that other than Christ? Nobody, nobody. For he testifies, you are a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. I mentioned that last week. That's from Psalm 110 and verse four. For on the one hand, there's an annulling of the former commandment because of its weakness and unprofitableness. Now this does not mean an obliteration of law. This means an obliteration of the priestly system. The law is intact. Jesus came not to abolish but to fulfill it. But this is the abolishment of the priestly system. I love 19, guys. We've got to learn this. For the law made nothing perfect. On the other hand, there's the bringing in of a better hope through which we draw near to God. Heavenly Father, this is a beautiful section of scripture. It can be tough to understand when we don't understand its context, but it really is important. I am certain, even as some folks shared with me between the services today, I am certain there have been some people here entangled in legalism, entangled in man-made structures that have actually not moved them closer to you, but in some ways kept them from walking in a real relationship with you. And I pray today, if there's anybody that's still hung up in that, that today would be a day of freedom, that they would find a sense of uh, a weight being lifted and a glorious sense in which Christ is all in all. His finished work is fully sufficient. And now we obey because we get to, not because we have to. 
In Jesus' name we pray these things, amen. Okay, guys, be seated. Now, let's not settle for less than God's best. How do we do that? Number one, remember this truth. The Levitical priesthood was limited and temporary. The Levitical priesthood was limited and temporary. Therefore, if perfection were through the Levitical priesthood, for under it people received the law, why would we get another priest? Why would somebody else emerge? 18 and beginning of 19. On the one hand, there's an annulling of the former commandment. It was weak. It was unprofitable. And the law had made nothing perfect. So the writer is contrasting Jesus' perfect priesthood with the Old Testament order. In other words, what he says is, hey, in the line of Jesus, it doesn't rely on family line or lineage, but on the power of an endless, or the, Hebrew, or the Greek word could be indestructible life, incorruptible life. The former priesthood was put aside because it could not provide perfect access. I want you to listen to that word, access. I'm going to come back to that concept at the end of the message today, access. The former priest would also die one after the other after the other. What happens when the priest dies? Somebody else has to come to the fore to be the priest. Just like the papal system today, if the priest steps, if the uh, pope steps down or dies, what happens? The conclave, they meet, they meet, black smoke, no good, black smoke, no good. And they vote, they vote, they vote, boom, white smoke, a new pope. Well, looky there, kiss his ring. No, that is not God's way. Now listen, I love my Roman Catholic brothers and sisters and friends, and we have many who have come out of Roman Catholicism here. I met some in the first service again today coming out of those structured systems, but I'm telling you guys, this papal thing, this priesthood thing, it is over. The Bible says that Jesus Christ alone is the perfect prophet, priest, and king. Nobody in Aaron's line ever sat on a throne, and nobody in Judah's line ever reigned supreme as high priest. And yet in Christ, you get it all. But, you know, when we think about Aaron's line, they didn't not only sit on a throne, they didn't sit at all. I want you to think about it. And I'm going to do a Wednesday series one of these days in digging deeper on the tabernacle. I really want to do this. In fact, I want to teach it in one of our gymnasiums on campus because I want to outline everything and show you the size. I don't know if you're like me. I'm a visual learner. I like to see things. I can better see the picture of what the tabernacle actually looked like. And I know since this is new, we're not going to be removing any chairs up in here. So we need to go and do that in a gym one day. But I want to show you because there were all these pieces of furniture, you know, the golden lampstand and the table of showbread, and there's the altar, the, the, the Ark of the Covenant and the mercy seat, not a seat upon which you sat, but just that picture of the cherubim coming over it and where the blood would be sacrificed. The priest had to do it for himself before he could do it for the people. But what we found is all of these pieces of furniture, except there's not a chair to sit on. Why? Look at Hebrews 10. Every high priest stands ministering daily, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. But this man, Christ, he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever. And what did Jesus do when he went to heaven? Sat down at the right hand of God. What does it mean to sit down? Well, look, here's the way I wrote it. There were no chairs in the tabernacle or temple because the work of the Old Testament priest was never complete. Not time to sit down yet, right? It's like I tell my kids if they're working in the yard, like, don't you sit down, we're not done. 
You can sit down and rest when Jesus comes or the work is complete, right? And when Jesus comes, the work is complete. And so I said, no sitting down yet. We're still working here. But you see, I want you to see this. When Jesus finished his work, he sat down. And so through the tribe of Levi, through the family of Aaron and all those priests, they had to stay moving all the time. All the time. Yesterday's sacrifice, that is history. Today you have to make a sacrifice because that was insufficient for today's sins. And there was an inevitability that tomorrow's sacrifice was coming. But in Christ, when he cried to Telestai, it was, it is, and it always will be finished. Always paid in full. It's a beautiful thing. You know, some of those priests who followed in the Aaronic line became greedy and immoral and self-centered and thereby powerless to help others. That's why you don't put your faith in a man. I'm not saying don't trust. I'm not saying don't trust people, but even this week there was somebody that I truly love, a brother in Christ, who has deeply, deeply disappointed me and deeply disappointed our convention. And I love him and I'm praying for him and of course I forgive him because he asked for it, but the reality is I'm sorry, there was a piece of paper there. They'd been cleaning that, and it got stuck, and I couldn't preach anymore. Uh, Just pray for your pastor. The reality is that man will let you down. Now, I don't want you to go into a cynical thing, and, well, that pastor there, he's going to naturally let me down. No, 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 I'm not saying that. I'm not saying think the worst. But what I'm saying is your faith and my faith and your entrance to heaven is not contingent upon an earthly human being. It is contingent upon the God-man, Jesus Christ, the finished work of the Lord. You see, for even those who were devoted and obedient in the Aaronic priest line, they still had to make sacrifices annually for themselves because of their sins. But with Jesus Christ, he alone was and is perfect and was and is the perfect sacrifice, the only high priest we would ever need. And he gives us grace and mercy. And if we do sin, Jesus is an advocate at the Father's throne, 1 John 2. And if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us and restore us, 1 John 1, 9. The better has come. The best has come. Why would we go backwards it's like when we lived down in Florida and we were um, less than an hour from St. Augustine. Anybody gotten to go to St. Augustine, oldest city? It's a beautiful place. It's my favorite thing about living down there, actually. Taking the Harley on Fridays, riding down to St. Augustine, enjoying lunch with Miss Cindy and riding up the coastline. It was a beautiful place. We used to love to go to St. Augustine. Eventually, just about a year before we actually moved, we joined the St. Augustine Lighthouse and Maritime Museum. It allowed you to go up the big lighthouse, 165 feet above sea level, see all of that beautiful historic region, the forts. It was incredible. And uh, they gave me, when we joined, they gave me a temp card, a little paper card. They said, now, Mr. Lewis, your your permanent card or your annual uh, pass holder card will come in the mail. It'll be nice. It was laminated, you know, printed out, not just handwritten with my name. And so I kept that little paper card in my wallet. But, you know, just little sheets of paper don't do that great in your wallet after a while. So what do you think I did with that little temp paper card when the laminated card came? What did I do? Just ripped it up and tossed it. 
See, I don't need that anymore. I have full access because the reality is I never knew which day Miss Cindy would beg me to go and take her to St. Augustine so she could give me sugar 165 feet above sea level and love on the temple here. I know, and it's tough. It's a hard life I live, y'all. It's a hard life. But when she begged, I finally succumbed. And I said, okay, you can go have sugar 165 feet above sea level. It's a hard life. When the real, you don't even want to look here, do you, right now? She's not even looking at me. That's cold. When the real thing has come, why do you need that which is temporary, limited, and flawed? I mean, what more can you find in a person than you have found in Jesus Christ? The Levitical priesthood was limited and temporary. Two, the second truth, the Old Testament system was radically reoriented through the person and the priesthood of Christ. Now, you need to see this, right? 12 to 16, a radical reorientation for the priesthood being changed of necessity. There's a change of the law. The law said you had to have the priest. You had to go so many times. You had to give them this or you had to give them that. And if you were poor, you could substitute this and that. And if you've ever read the book of Leviticus, Leviticus from the Levitical sacrificial system, you'll see that there's a lot and lot, a lot of rules, a lot of nuance, a lot of details. But the Bible says, look, now the moral law doesn't change. You think about God's top 10, uh, have no other God before me, no graven images, don't use the name of the Lord in vain, remember the Sabbath to keep it holy, honor father, mother, etc. all the way down. That's not changed. But it is the Levitical priesthood system that is different. That change happened, like 13. Look, Jesus came from another tribe. Why would you call him from another tribe? Well, because he is greater He doesn't come from a fleshly commandment. They must be through Levi, must be through this family. He comes through an eternal existence. He has always been and will always be. Therefore, he is so much better. The entire Old Testament system has been fulfilled in Christ, removed parts of it, removed. Colossians 2, the believer has been set free from the law. Galatians 5, the believer is dead to the law. Romans 7, Now, this new agreement and new arrangement does not suggest a Christian has a right to be lawless. Now, listen to this statement. Free from the law does not mean free to sin. Rather, it means we are free now to do the will of God. We obey not for outward compulsion, but inner constraint. The Holy Spirit of God lives in you as a Christian. Therefore, you obey. I like to say it this way. Not out of obligation, but adoration. I want to obey my God who made me, who I will see one day face to face because I want to please him. Look at Romans 8 on the screens with me, guys. There is therefore now no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death for what the law could not do and that it was weak through the flesh. God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh on account of sin. He condemned sin in the flesh that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but we walk according to the spirit. You don't walk fleshly, 
worldly. You walk spiritually, discerning. I didn't say you were perfect. I didn't say you weren't going to fall. I didn't say we weren't going to mess up, but I did tell you we have an advocate with the Father. I did tell you he'll be faithful and just to forgive you and cleanse you of all unrighteousness. But when we see verse 16, who it says he's not according to the law of fleshly commandment, but the power of an endless life, it gives us that contrast, that contrast. These guys are going to die. These guys are not going to be permanent for you. But Jesus is forever and ever. But that leads me then to a question. If he's so wonderful, if the way of Christ is so much better, God knew Adam and Eve. God knew they were going to fall. Why didn't God just send Jesus right then to pay the price? Why not even send Jesus before the episode of Cain and Abel? before Cain would murder his brother? Why not send Jesus before the flood of Noah's day when wickedness was rising on the earth? Why not send Jesus before Babel and the people thinking they could make their way to God? Why not send Jesus way back there to suffer all the heartache, to avoid the suffering now and here? Why not send Jesus? Well, I want you to look at Galatians uh, 4 with me. I got it for you up there. But when the fullness of time had come, it's a beautiful pregnant phrase that means at the perfect moment. When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law to redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. See, with all those instances, I told you, those were pre-law instances. But God knew he needed to give us the law as a teacher, a schoolmaster, a mirror to reflect our need for him. Otherwise, we would think, like the current culture, ah, I'm okay, you're okay. But this has led me to a very important truth I try to live out in my life. I want to encourage you with this truth. Even if you're not normally a note taker, you want to take this down, even either in writing or hide it in your heart. You can do the right thing at the wrong time, and it can become the wrong thing. This is true from Genesis to Revelation. You can do the right thing at the wrong time, and it can become the wrong thing. And so why did Jesus not come then? Well, Jesus came in God's perfect time in his story, history, okay? Jesus came in God's perfect time in his story, in history. And I know some, some people think like this. Well, I hear you, pastor. I get it. And I, I think I, I, I'm following this stuff, and maybe Jesus is the only way. And I tell you what, one day there's a great possibility that I will trust Jesus as my Savior. I'm enjoying myself pretty much right now, though, so I'm going to put that off a little longer. And you know what? I think one day I'm going to accept all of this. That is not the way it works. In fact, I can tell you one clear thing about timing with your salvation. Paul told the Corinthians, there is a certain time to be saved. Does anybody know what day is the right day to be saved? Today is the day of salvation. Now is the acceptable time. You don't wait till you're good and ready. God is good and ready. You're hearing the truth. Why not trust him today? 
Why not do what hundreds and hundreds have done over the last few months and say yes to the Lord Jesus Christ? Trust him. Did y'all know that just this past week we had 42 people become new covenant members of Grace Baptist Church? 42 in a week, y'all. That ain't too shabby. I'm going to tell you right now. And here's the thing. Why not trust Jesus Christ now? This is the time. I remember going to our first church where I was a senior pastor. I'd been on staff four years. We go to beautiful little Dobson, North Carolina, there down the road from Mayberry, Mount Airy. And the people were all excited. And about two months in, there was this proposal that I didn't have anything to do with, but it was for a drawing package for a new building. And we were excited, but it did not pass. And I thought, oh, Lord, two months in, I'm going to be fired right here. I thought, well, since I wasn't in on that, how about we wait and pray, seek God's face, give it six months. We came back with a plan not only to build a state-of-the-art worship center, offices, and expand the campus, but y'all, the vote that blew my mind was that we voted to tear all of the old church buildings down. It's pretty easy to build. It's very hard to get Baptists to tear anything down. And so it passed overwhelmingly. Overwhelmingly, we built. We added land. We built again. Later in our tenure there, before we would move, we would start the Christian Academy Salem there. And it was incredible what God did. But God taught me a valuable lesson. There should only be one question that would drive me if I'm leading not only just a congregation, but a, a, a family, my own family. There should be one question. This was my driver. This is my driver. 20 years later, is this, God, is this what you want for this church at this time? Because you can do the right thing at the wrong time and it becomes the wrong thing. And now I have this driver in my heart, my life. God, is this what you want for me, for Miss Cindy, for our kids, for our grandkids? Is this what you want for grace at this time? So we want to do things in God's timing. And Jesus came at the perfect time. The Old Testament system was radically reoriented through his person and priesthood. The Levitical priesthood had been limited and temporary. Final truth, Jesus offers us a better hope by which we now draw near to God. And you see that. I didn't make that up. It's straight out of verse 19. The old was weak. The old was unprofitable. Jesus came. The law, merely a diagnostic tool but useless in the sense that it could not provide a constant means of access to God. So we had to have a new and better way. So look at Romans 3 with me, 3.20. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight. For by the law is knowledge of sin. Now see, some of you think, well, if I just do this and do this and do this, then I can be right with God. Then I can come and get things in order. You gotta forget that way of thinking. You got to forget trying to work your way up. You can't work your way up. God had to come down. That's why the Oprah theology of God or God's on the mountain and multiple paths to get there is such hogwash, my friend. It doesn't work. It doesn't make sense. God is not up there just laughing at you struggling to get to him. God became flesh and dwelt among us. That's the truth of the gospel message. 
And you know, you can avoid a lot of this PC craziness. That's not personal computer, by the way. This political correct craziness. I'm okay, you're okay, you have your truth, I have my truth. I wanna puke when I hear that garbage because that's not the way the world works. There is one truth, it is God's truth. God's truth is that man is born in sin and separated from God. We are all running far and fast from the one who made us, but Jesus Christ came in the fullness of time, died a sacrificial death, was buried and rose the third day. He ascended to the right hand of God where he sat down proving that God accepted his sacrifice. It was done, paid in full. And if you will surrender and trust him and say, I give up, Jesus will say, but I never gave up on you. Now come, enter into the joy of the Lord. You can be a part of the family of God because of what Jesus did, not what you will ever do. And there's freedom in that. It gives me a joy that says, now I want to serve the Lord. I want to honor God because look at what he's done for me. A sorry, undone sinner who he now calls a saint. It's an amazing truth. You can't work your way up to God. Now listen, I've said this in various forms before, but I'm coming to the finish line. The law does not bring perfection. It only reveals imperfection reminds us of our sin. Yesterday in the mail, I got a wonderful little piece of paper. It was from Orsa, Oak Ridge Sportsman Association, and it was my annual renewal. Miss Cindy wasn't thrilled about it because we had to write a check, but it's one of the greatest investments I've made since I've been in this part of the state. We are so blessed in this part to have a, a place like Oak Ridge Sportsman Association. If you love Uh, the shooting sports, pistols, rifles, shotgunning, archery. I love it all. I've done it all over there. It's an incredible deal. It's an amazing place. Thank you, thank you, thank you to the one here who sponsored me for all the times we've gone out, some of us here and had fun and we'll have fun and I love it. And you know what I wanted? I wanted to write that check as quick as possible and get it in the mail because I want my badge. I got this little, little badge thing. I want it to keep access When I go up to the gate, man, I want it to go boop and start opening for me. I love having access. I love being able to go when I want to go and not having to worry about paying a bunch of this or that and have access. And I'm telling y'all, when you have access to God 24-7, 365, 366 on a leap year, knowing that you're going to glory, knowing that the Father hears you, knowing that you're not perfect and that you don't deserve it and never will, but Jesus was and is perfect and paid your price, you will be more excited than getting your Orsa renewal in the mail. I'm telling you, you've got Got to remember what God has done for you, what he has done on your account, on your behalf. And don't go back. The writer's pleading, don't go back. Don't go to the old system. Don't think you got to do this and don't do that. Do this and don't do that. Yes, there's some thou shalt and some thou shalt not, but that is for your good and God's glory. And that doesn't make you right with God. That demonstrates that you're right with God. The Levitical priesthood was limited and temporary, the Old Testament system radically reoriented through the person and priesthood of Christ, but Jesus offers a better hope by which we draw near to God. Now, you note takers, you're starting to shake right now because you still have a couple of blanks on your outline. Are you ready? I'm going to finish. I'm going to give them to you. And if I've missed anything, I apologize. Just reach out to Frank.Catanzaro. I'm kidding. He doesn't know. Listen, I want to show you something because I need the visual to help me out. So let me show you two things. 
And uh, on the count of three, everybody tell me what this item is right here. One, two, three. A thermometer. A thermometer. It's even got a humidistat on the bottom. But it says, it still says that it's right at 70 degrees in here. Now, I know you think liar, liar, pants on fire. It's 53 in this room. I know. Y'all, some of y'all are chilly. I get it. I see you covered up. But like I told him in the first year, I'd much rather you cover up than strip down. Praise God. So stay covered up. It's hard to sleep. Harder to sleep when your teeth are chattering. It says it's right about ish, 70-ish. It probably is that warm up here. Um, but if I said, well, I'm freezing to death, I got to get it warmer in here. I can play with this thing all day. Is it going to do me any good? I don't need a thermometer. I need a what? Thermostat. Now, that's old school. No school like the old school. Check out that Honeywell. This is one of those really cool ones that's an auto changeover. So you see how that sets? You can actually change. Can y'all see that out there? You can actually change heat and cool at the same time. It changes over. That's fancy right there. I like that. And we've gone all digital now in my house with the app and all of that. It's good. I like it. And if, if you're too hot, pull it down a little bit. Too cold, pull it up a little bit. This is what makes the change. And it's got a few little mercury sensors inside of it and all of that. But you really need both. Now, this can tell me sort of the temp. But you really need both of these devices. And so let me give you this on your notes. The law is your thermometer. The law is your thermometer. That gives you information. Now, the way we calibrate this, this one's uh, you can't calibrate. The humidistat on the back's got a little calibration spring. But uh, this is how the word of the Lord is how you calibrate your thermometer. Do I know if I'm hot or cold? Do I know if I'm closer to God or farther? This will calibrate for you. This will tell you what you need to know about your temperature. And some of you guys right now, not doing so good. Not doing so hot. You, you need to recalibrate your life and you need to be honest with yourself this morning and look at where you are with God. Because you know if somebody had a spiritual thermometer on you right now, you would be sick. And think about it. When one of our children or grandchildren are running a fever, it is not enough to say, oh my, look at that. They've got 102 fever. It is not enough. So the law shows us when we're sick. And we all are. Gospel is your thermostat. So one brings information, the other transformation. You need Jesus Christ if there's going to be a real change in your life. Oh, you can try on your own. You can read it and do all the right stuff, but you won't have an internal change. You'll only have an external change, and that won't last. That's why the Bible says a pig will return to his slop, a dog to his vomit. That's graphic, but it says this is not enough. You need this. Another way to express it, our son Bobby at 11 was diagnosed with type 1 diabetes. From then till now, after he got training, he's worn two things, a CGM, continuing, continuous glucose monitor. It's his Dexcom system, and it tells him, like Friday night at football, goes through the roof. He goes real high when he's playing sports. But that sensor only tells him there's a problem. Beep, 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 beep. You got a problem. What he also has to wear is that insulin pump that delivers that life-saving, organ-saving, ultimately life-saving insulin into his system. 
You see, he needs both because the one tells him there's a problem. Beep, 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 beep. The other corrects it. For some of you, you know right now there's an alarm going off in your heart. You know right now that things are not right. And you're thinking of anything and everything you can do to fix it. And I am here to tell you in all love and in all seriousness, you won't be able to fix it on your own. You've got to trust that God will give you the life-saving, eternity-changing gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. It is not enough to look and to hear the alarm, to read the thermometer. You must trust Christ and surrender today. What am I telling y'all to do? I'm telling you, I'm telling you, don't go back into a man-made system. Don't settle for less than God's best. Thank you so much for watching us today. God is doing absolutely amazing things in and through our Grace Baptist Church family. If you'd like to share anything the Lord is doing in your life, feel free to reach out to us through our website or our app. And if you're ever in the Knoxville area, come by and worship with us and our family of faith here at Grace Baptist Church.